Hello, my name is Michael McLennan, and welcome to COVID Matters, the podcast produced by COVID Aid. In this episode, we're speaking to Claire Rayner. She's been a vocal and powerful advocate for their urgent need for occupational health support for people with long COVID, and also for employers to receive solid guidance and practical advice on how to treat workers experiencing ongoing symptoms. Claire is a retired consultant occupational physician who has been working across several sectors such as transport, manufacturing and healthcare. She was an honorary lecturer at the Centre for Occupational Environmental Health, University of Manchester, and worked as a trainer for the National Education Project for Health and Work. Claire talks with first-hand experience of COVID and has written several papers on the condition, including editorials on returning to work after long COVID, leaflets for workers and employers published by the Society of Occupational Medicine, and a recent consensus document on management of long COVID. She addressed the WHO as a spokesperson for patient groups with post-COVID health issues, and she's currently collaborating with various groups to develop appropriate health services for these patients, including the Department of Rehabilitation for New York. It was an absolute pleasure to speak to Claire, and I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I do. It'd be great to know a bit about what you were doing before the pandemic hit. Oh, that's that's really interesting. It seems so long ago. I have long-term health problems, so I was not working full-time. I I was an occupational physician. I was teaching that at the university. I was teaching at a Centre for Occupational Environmental Health, which is quite a world-leading one. And also another strand of my life has always been teaching communications. That's kind of separate, but I teach communication using actors and so on. I loved working with them. Yeah, so that's kind of what I was doing work-wise. And for those of us uh, who aren't so aware of it, what is occupational health? To be honest, most people aren't aware, and particularly even within medicine, people don't even know that it's an actual specialty. Mm -hmm. So it it is, we do a lot of different things, so it's hard to summarise it briefly, but basically we look after people of working age who are at work. But from two angles, we, um, we manage occupational diseases, so that's a lot about prevention, um, and all sorts of things like engineering, um, so health and safety. So we know quite a lot about the angle of PPE and things like that. So preventing occupational diseases, but then also having a very low threshold for detecting them. So that, that's quite specific. On the other hand, we have what we call the effect of health on work. So that's helping people to stay in work, trying to get managers to make adjustments, Advising whether they're fit for work, um, and that's just a whole range of any prob- any health problem that an adult of working age might have. And then, um, so when the pandemic hit, what's your own experiences of that? We were doing quite a run on the sort of communication teaching sessions, uh, working with the actors, and that's in a simulated environment. So actually, it was a, like a simulated A&E environment. We were pretty busy. So we had 100 people in the department in the weeks um, running up to the pandemic and basically people started coming in with lots of coughs and colds and things. Now in occupational health as we have a very low threshold for suspecting something so I was saying listen never mind what the government are putting out about what the symptoms are anyone who's got sore throat whatever do not come into work. Unfortunately people did come in because we were all self-employed and so I was in the clinically extremely vulnerable group, so I'm always a bit cautious anyway. But I thought just two days before lockdown, mm, they've sent me this letter. I better, I better heed it because we don't know what's going on here. But 
as soon as we then locked down uh, a couple of days later, I became ill very, very, very mildly at first for two days. Um, and I thought, yeah, I think this is it, but at least I've got away with it because that's two days of really mild stuff. But then my other problems kicked in and I got a bacterial infection. Thought I was better. And then on the sort of the day 10 thing, which, as you know, is probably when a lot of people take a turn for the worse. I took a massive turn for the worse. Didn't have your classical presentation. I think I was more like some of the very old children get. It was just completely different. I went to A&E. Um, I'm prone to sepsis anyway. They didn't recognise it. Um, and there was quite strict rules about who they kept in. So I actually got sent home very ill. And my blood count was extremely low, negligible. So I was quite surprised at that. Then needed carers four times a day for three months. What's really interesting, I think this is probably a good place to say it, is that a lot of people of my medical friends got infected at the same time. And I was very closely in touch with one of my friends from medical school, who, because we've been working on a book together. She's an obstetrician, and so I've been illustrating pictures for, for her next book. I'm, I'm an artist as well. So we both were ill at the same time and we started to notice we were getting exactly the same symptoms only I was a few days ahead and I would say oh now I've got this and now I've got that and then she would follow a week later and say it's it's part of the covid mm-hmm. so she already she's quite a writer already and she um said right we've got to write about this Claire so in April we passed published our first letter the BMJ and we wrote a series of letters and articles kind of highlight there was something really going on under all these people at home. So strangely enough, in that first three months, although I was very ill, I was also intensely working with Amali on this book. And that, I think, kept me sane. And so I guess then you're amongst those people who started speaking out about long COVID. So how did you find it at that time in terms of how that was being received? It's really interesting. Um, the st- we coalesced together then, a number of doctors, um, and we all realised we were going through the same thing, and we thought, right, we have to highlight this. Um, it was just all around us. I think when you haven't done that before, I, I tend to think you will be received at face value. Um, I tend to think that until proven otherwise. And I think we hit brick walls very early on. I wonder if people were actually, though a little bit more receptive then than they are now, mm-hmm. because we would have our articles published and then other people like Nisreen were publishing. And so the voice was sort of amplifying. So it seemed like it would be heard, but I, I think it wasn't. And when, and when people who hadn't experienced long COVID started hearing about it, they thought, oh, it's just post-viral fatigue. And then it's just long COVID, meaning it, let's lump it all in one thing. So I think there's the people, the doctors and nurses and things who have had it. And I thought it was so important as a medical person experiencing it or medical people that we were able to articulate extremely well what was happening. There are now some researchers who have really picked up and, and some individual doctors who are just treating so many people. You know, they're really working hard. I find their voices are drowned out as well. And so once you started speaking out, it seems like one thing led to another in terms of how that then built up that voice. So can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, 
that's the only way I can summarize the last 15 months. One thing led to another in a very, very rapid way and things that I would have never dreamed of and, and never wanted. I, would ne I had no media presence, no online presence before that. I had, you know, happy with my art and whatever else. But I found myself compelled to speak out. And there came a point around about July when the long COVID support groups had set up a bit. And because we were medical and speaking out, they, they contacted us. And I think things started from there. So in August, one of the groups asked Amali and I to come to a meeting with the WHO with them. Of course, we were absolutely terrified, but we were asked to give a five minute slot. And, and that meeting was extremely um, fruitful. And I think that's where things have the WHO really realized it was an issue. Um, and so, Basically, the messages Mali and I gave, look, this is a real thing. These are people who have not been assessed and they need assessment. And by the way, if you don't do something to help these people as soon as possible, the crisis of losing their jobs is going to happen. So that we, we finished that meeting and the people running it said, we will now hand over to Dr. Tedros for him to sum up. Well, the beautiful thing is, I thought it was beautiful. We didn't know he had been there. And I think that was quite kind because we would have been even more terrified. And he just said, Amali and Claire, I've heard your message. And he said to the long COVID group, I've heard your message. And they have been true to their word since. They have really, really in engaged completely with this. Then I linked up with Mount Sinai in New York after that because um, the chap that heads up the rehabilitation centre there and who had run the, the very first long COVID clinic in the world had written something in an article. And he said, people need to realise there's a problem and run with us. So I emailed him. <laughs> and we and a handful of UK doctors with long COVID and his department, we've been in collaboration, trying to share messages and everything since. So those are just two examples really of how one thing's led to another. And then there's been, as well as that, like many other collaborations and, and much other work that you've been doing. And um, yeah. a lot of that has, has been to do with uh, working rights and people not yeah. knowing what their rights are. Yeah, that's right. Um, by this time, the, there's a big long COVID doctors group um, and now there's about a thousand people. And so we were, we were kind of active in trying to get the message out. And I, I knew stuff about working rights because of my job. But also having ill health myself, I knew how to navigate the system a bit. But you've got to understand that most people who have been hit by COVID haven't been that ill before. It's completely a new thing. So, so the doctors were completely bowled over by this and didn't know what they could ask for or perhaps even how work should be behaving to them. So I just told them. And then... In the long COVID support groups, it was happening the same. I said, no, you can ask for this or no. When you go back, you must have a really gradual phase return. And I took in mind to write, like again, with Mount Sinai working with them, I, they wanted us to write some information leaflets. So I thought I'm going to write one on the returning work or what, what you can expect when you return to work with long COVID. And I wanted it to just help people to have that conversation with their employer or their boss in an assertive way. So I kind of wrote it in a very conversational way. And I had one of my friends who's a, a communications expert to, to look at it. And she edited it and made the language really sort of easy. 
And this is another example of one thing leading to another. Somehow this, I got involved with the Society of Occupational Medicine and I and one of my professors on that, I said to him, listen, I've just written this leaflet. Would you cast your eye over it and see what you think? And he said, it's brilliant. The Society of Occupational Medicine will take it up. Mm -hmm. So we've now got that out there. And so, and so I think that's been a huge part of what I've done just helping people to know what their rights are a bit. And now we're in, I'm involved in an employment working group, which is part of the long COVID support group. And there's a band of us who are really trying to support people. And, and we're trying to work with the union so they know what's going on and so on. Uh, one of the things I was curious about is uh, when you've been doing this work is with long COVID, obviously there's a variety of symptoms. So how do you manage to be able to compact that into doing a leaflet or, or doing that sort of work? Oh my goodness. Well, I can't explain the effort involved. Um, I have a slight brain injury from sepsis prior to COVID and that actually affects my ability to write. Mm -hmm. And so I would tend to be very verbose in writing and I don't know what's, I, so actually writing is the hardest thing ever. That's why I got other people to help me. Um, so the effort, yeah, it feels almost superhuman. Uh, yeah, it really does. Uh, my brain, uh, I think one other thing that's really affected me with it is my speech. And you might notice it's quite jerky or sometimes words can't get out. And I think this is a very typical thing. So I go with it now. I just kind of think, well, people are going to notice, so what? <laughs> Yeah, uh, but the uh, amount that you've been doing is, seems like an amazing effort on your part, but alongside such an amazing, you know, array of other people and voices and so on. So, how have you yeah. found that? I found that quite magical. I mean, it's one of my favourite things to um, form collaborations and see and, and create new outcomes. Um, it's something that I happen to have always done in all my jobs. So I love a collaboration that works. Um, I find it energizing. And I think that's a sign that things are working. And then and you don't necessarily what thing, know what things are going to lead to. But when you have a collective will to work together to come up with new solutions, you do then come up with new ideas. I've done it a lot in my occupational health work because everything's a bit different there anyway so you have to do it so yeah I, I love the collaboration it, it makes it enjoyable it usually makes it more effective mm -hmm. um, and then there are those I shrug my shoulders at you kind of think well okay we'll put these people together and see what happens and, and nothing happens and that's fine that doesn't have the energy to, to run you know and so what's the most recent activity that you've been involved with oh well the most recent one was last weekend when the TUC report came out the Trades Unions Council about how many people are affected in terms of not able to go to work or losing their jobs. And so I think it was last weekend, we were madly sort of trying to respond to that and frittering about it and trying to get messages out. For people who haven't been aware of the TUC report, what was that? As I understand it, and I'm not an expert, they're the Trades Union Council, so they're kind of like the overseeing body of all the unions. And they had done their own survey of nearly 4,000 people regarding their job status. And they were looking at things like, you know, 
who's lost their job, who's managing to work their normal um, duties, uh, what support they'd had. I think I didn't see the actual questionnaire, but but basically work things to do with work status because it really has not been looked at. And this is crucial because we have so many people on long term sick. So so their report came out with some quite shocking figures. And I think it is to be the start of a campaign where the TUC will feed out to the other unions and just highlight the issues and say, right, how are you going to help your members? And so at this stage, what are your concerns going forward? I am I'm extremely concerned about the number of people who have been off work for many months or more than a year. This is uh, this is going to be an absolute crisis if it's not dealt with. Obviously, on an individual level, like Nasreen has spoken about, you can see the slide down from you know being having work to not having work and all that entails. When somebody has been off work for actually a few weeks, it starts to impact on their chances of recovery and their and their chances of getting work again. So. I'm very upset and very worried for the amount of people who right now are about to lose their jobs. And employers' patients have now run thin, um, which, which, you know, you can understand. But actually, my heart's breaking for the people that are about to lose their jobs. Now, we have been saying for the past year, all the people I've worked with, that this is going to happen. And one of the reasons that has held people back is that they have not received medical assessment. Some people haven't had any medical assessment in 15 months. So these are people walking around with actual physical problems that have not had that assessment. Now, if they had had assessment earlier, they could have had treatments that help their symptoms. Nobody's claiming to cure it. But we do know that with certain symptoms and certain treatments, their functioning can improve so quickly. So, uh, you know, I'm dismayed that that so many people have not had this assessment. This has led to them being absent from work and not being able to function. So what would be your message to employers? My message to employers is I realise that you've all been in that horrendously difficult situation as well I mean absolutely Um, and I I think message to employers would be listen to the individual ask what they can do to help with their recovery now it's quite a standard thing for instance for us in occupational medicine to say to employers it may actually help everybody if you were to fund the tests that were needed or fund um, an appointment with a specialist because that way the person can access some early treatment. So that's that's one thing that I think they should consider, and it's and it's quite normal. And I think the other thing is to say to them, what are you going to do if you do have to lose these long term people who are long term sick? What are you going to do about replacing them? Because we don't have the workforce waiting to replace them. We already have skill shortages in the UK, we have done for ages. So who is going to replace your person with 20 or 30 years experience? Because this is the age group most impacted. So, and, and then I would say, what, what can you do to help them start to come back in? And they, need, they do need a much more gradual return to work than, than with other conditions. So those what being- would- <laughs> 
what would be your advice to oh sorry what would be your advice to people who are worried about losing their jobs it's so difficult because many people are self-employed as well and um i think it would be raising that awareness of what the problems are the medical problems that need to be excluded so that they have access to something simple which says these are the types of problems you get take this to your gp um i've just been involved in publishing what's called the delphi consensus so 37 doctors have, have scoured the literature for what we know so far and for each of the types of problems that you can get with long COVID, for instance, that autonomic problems, there are treatments that can help. So we have written some guidelines and they are about to be published in the British Journal of General Practice. And I would like to think they could take that to their GPs. As soon as they get the symptoms, really, you know, if you start with chest pain, you need some investigations and, and get those things moving really as soon as possible. Um, and then if they're in a union, ask for their advice or um, the employment working group that we have in, in the long COVID support. The other thing is peer support is just very, very helpful. And in terms of the, <clears throat> at the governmental level, I guess you'd be looking for more support in terms of for people living with long COVID right now. Absolutely. It's what we've been saying for the past year, early medical assessment, you can see the theme, <laughs> early medical assessment, these are the checklist of things you need to, to ensure that doctors look for. You need to understand the impact of being off work for more than a few weeks and see that as a red flag to help these people. And there are gonna be some workers who, need, who will have acquired this in the course of work and they will at some point be due some compensation, some of those people. So that it has to be looked at as an occupational disease in certain circumstances. Finally, uh, I was wondering in terms of things that you've taken away from this and, and things that we can learn for the next time around. You know, I've been so in it, it's actually been very hard to do that kind of step back. I think it's an opportunity to really listen to what people are experiencing. I think the healthcare professions need to listen to patients. Uh, they will tell you their story and they will help come up with solutions. I think we need to build in some flexibility as a society in the workplace. Um, and by that, I mean, if somebody's ill, just having that flexibility to adjust a little bit, you know, sort of a, a, a bit of push-pull to help them over that hump of getting back in. So I think it's an opportunity for some of those practices to, to come into play. Personally, uh, what are you hoping to do across the rest of this year? I really, really want to get back to my art. Mm. I really, I mean, I'll still carry on doing all those, these things, um, but more than anything, I want, I, I need to get on top of my art and, and be able to, cause that, that's my relaxation. Thanks so much to Claire for speaking to us. It was inspiring, amazing, slightly intimidating hearing about the sheer breadth of what she's managed to achieve over the past 16 months, despite her experiences with COVID. If you're interested in some of the issues that she's been talking about, I would highly recommend checking out and following Long COVID Support, Long COVID SOS, both groups who she's been involved with in this subject matter. 
If you haven't heard of COVID-Aid, we are the UK's new national charity looking to support all those who've been affected by the pandemic. You can check us out at covidaidcharity.org. That is covidaidcharity.org or through our social media channels. We'll be back with an episode soon. And until then, take care.